The Old Testament lesson from Joshua 1, 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The reading from the New Testament, Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And wherever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at all the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in, the, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also for, have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from evil. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Relationships, all relationships, are gifts. They're not earned. And we learn this from a pretty early age, at least we're supposed to. Whenever we're born, our relationship with our parents isn't something that we have to earn. It's a gift. Our parents love us. And it is to be an unconditional love, but don't worry, all, all parents have their flaws. And, but we learn from an early age relationships are a gift. And when you enter elementary school and you first start making, you, you make your, some of your first friends, you learn again that those relationships are a gift. Those friendships are formed because that other person just liked you. They wanted to be kind to you. They wanted to be with you and be around you. As we grow up and mature and we uh, start having more uh, affectionate feelings for people, we learn again that those relationships are a gift. Those boyfriends and girlfriends, those intimate partners, we start to learn that they just want to love on us. As we continue to grow and we see more and more that the people around us, they just want to be around us because they want to be around us. It's not something that we earn, it's a gift. And this is something that I had to learn the hard way. And in fact, I'm still learning. Uh, Growing up, I didn't have many friends, and it's because it's my own fault. I, I didn't, re I, I wasn't like an unfriendly person. I just kind of kept people at a distance because I didn't know how to be friends with people. Uh, and so, you know, my, my birthday parties growing up were largely attended by my cousins and family members because I just didn't have very many friends growing up. 
Uh, about middle school time frame, I, I met uh, who are today my three best friends. Um, and, and the four of us, we've been doing life together ever since. It's been marvelous, wonderful. I got to see them while we were up in Huntsville this week, and it was just great hanging out with them. Um, but as they kind of welcomed me into their friendship, I had to really figure out what do I need to do in order to keep up this friendship? How do I keep earning this friendship? And so I tried to do so much for them. I, I, would, I would go out of my way all the time to just be whatever I could be for them so that I could earn their friendship. And eventually, they had to kind of sit me down and say, stop, <laughs> it's, it's no fun to be friends with somebody who's trying to earn a friendship. A friendship is something that is freely given. We give that as a gift because we just want to be around that person, because we love that person. Our relationships are a gift, and I'm still learning that today. I still feel like sometimes I have to earn those relationships, but that's not the way that it works. Now, don't get me wrong. There are aspects of relationships that we do to participate in them. It's not something we do to earn those relationships, but it's something we do to be a part of it. For example, communication. Friendships don't hold up very long without communication. There has to be some kind of correspondence between the people. Um, kindness is another thing. If you're really mean to a person, that friendship or that relationship isn't going to last for very long. Uh, it just kind of breaks apart at that point. So there are things that we do to participate in the relationships, but there's nothing that we can do to earn those relationships. Grace, God's grace, is very much the same. It is not earned. It is a gift, a free gift given out of the great love of God who says, I just want to be with you. I just want to love on you. Grace is a free gift. That said, there are things that we do to participate in it, to participate in grace to allow that grace to transform our lives. John Wesley, the founder of modern-day Methodism, called these things that we do to participate in grace means of grace. And you might have heard them called spiritual disciplines. That's a fair term for it. But I really prefer the expression means of grace because of how Wesley defines it. Now, he had a sermon called the means of grace. He is very straightforward kind of guy, didn't dance around the subject. And in this sermon, he says, by means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions, ordained of God and appointed for this end, to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to all preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. So, you know, this is back in the 17, late 1700s, so language is a little bit different. Let me summarize this a little bit. Means of grace, as Wesley understood it, are those things that are outward, words, actions, deeds, sign, acts, which are, he says, ordained of God. That means that God encouraged them. Uh, and encouraged them so that we might receive grace. These are the things, the, he called them channels, the pathways by which we encounter God's provenient 
justifying and sanctifying grace. So things that we participate in. Now, as he unpacks these means of grace, we can identify uh, four different categories that these means of grace fall into. The first is individual acts of piety, then communal acts of piety. Next we have individual acts of mercy and communal acts of mercy. Okay, so pretty simple. It's piety and mercy, it's individual and it's communal. And these four acts uh, he sees as means of grace. And so throughout the, the season of Lent, we'll be talking about these means of grace in individual and communal terms and pious and merciful terms. Um, and, and it's important to recognize that there is piety and mercy, that it is individual and it is communal. Uh, earlier this week, actually yesterday, I was listening to a fun podcast. Uh, it's called No Stupid Questions. It's a podcast where these two people actually talk about any kind of question that people throw at them. And this week their question was, is it better for us to focus on self-improvement, sorry, self-improvement, or is it better for us to focus on communal improvement, building up the community or building up ourselves? Which one is better for us to do? If we build up ourselves, does that naturally build up the community? If we build up the community, does it naturally build up ourselves? And the two hosts of this podcast went back and forth and really didn't come to an exact consensus and even brought in other voices to talk about it and people had differences in their opinions. As I was thinking about it though, you know, the, the answer is quite obvious. It's both. It's both and. It's not either or. We like the either or thing. We like to have a preference toward one. It's difficult to hold intention the both, both and, but it's both and. It's both mercy and piety. It's both individual and communal. communal. And so, as we're going through this series on, uh, on means of grace, we're looking at the way that God holds intention, this both and, mercy and piety, individual and communal, to connect us with the holy, with the divine. But today, we start with ourselves, because here we are. We are here because we are here. And we are the most immediate thing that we can change. And so we look today at individual works of piety. So uh, we'll start with a question, uh, an odd one, I hope. What is piety? I love seeing the faces because people are like, wait, I don't know. I, I, I know, the, I know the, what the word means, but how do you define it? Be religious. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. Other thoughts? Goodness. Goodness, certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Piety. Stoic. What was that like? Not showing it openly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, all of these definitions are, are pretty fair. Uh, I actually went on Google to try to get, like, pin down a single definition, and every single dictionary. Uh, has its own uh, rendition of this term, and there's not like the most general consensus, but what it kind of boils down to is devotion or reverence to God. Devotion or reverence to God. So when we think about individual works of piety, individual works of devotion or reverence, 
we can come up with a decent list of things. What are some, what are some of those things that might be considered acts of devotion or reverence that we do individually? Prayer, Prayer yes, absolutely. Giving, Giving certainly. Kindness, attending worship, absolutely, yes. Yeah, uh, Wesley had his, his own list, and you'll hear uh, some of your things in this as well. Uh, he included practices like, and this is not an exclusive list, so practices like reading, meditating and studying the scriptures, prayer, fasting, regularly attending worship, healthy living, consider that one, healthy living, and sharing our faith with others. So these are the individual works of piety. And through these activities, we draw nearer to God. These are the things that we do to participate in grace. There's nothing we do to earn grace, but there are things we do to participate in grace, to grow in grace. And those things are things like these individual works of piety, reading and studying the scriptures, fasting, praying, regularly attending worship, living healthily, sharing our faith. These draw us nearer to God, which is what Lent has always been about. It is a season of drawing nearer to God. So today we're going to look at two of these, uh, the two most common and possibly the two most accessible. We start with Scripture, reading, meditating, hearing the Word of God. Joshua 1, 7 through 9, which we heard read earlier today, talks about this. Joshua is just taking up the mantle of Moses. Okay, Moses has passed away. Joshua is going to become the new leader of the Israelites to lead them into the promised land. No big deal, right? So he's a little bit nervous about this. And reading through the first chapter of Joshua, you can kind of get that sense. He, is not, he does not feel equipped. He's experiencing imposter syndrome. He does not know that he is the one who can do this. So God commands him, be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. Reading and hearing the word of God. Now you've heard me uh, use this expression many times, but the Bible is not a rule book. It is a book of potential namely human potential, and most specifically, the potential for human relationships. The Bible is a relationship book, not a rule book. Yes, there are things in it that look like rules, but they are rules that help guide us into healthier relationships. Uh, every single point in, the, in Scripture is unpacking what it can look like, the potential of human relationships, both on the bad and the good side, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with all of creation, and our relationship with God. And so the Bible unpacks all of this. And, and now the, uh, the Old Testament often refers to this as the book of the law. Uh, law is a very common vernacular term for this day and age. They're very much a legalistic society. Uh, but this law wasn't the kind of law that's like, you do this or you go to jail. You do this or you go to jail kind of law. This law was the kind of law that encouraged people to grow together, 
not judge one another. Consider that. That's the kind of law that Scripture offers. That's the kind of law that everything from the Ten Commandments to the 613 various laws that are presented throughout the Old Testament guide us toward. Relationship. How to grow together. So, whenever God is encouraging Joshua to be courageous, to be strong, to be, to be the leader that the Israelites need, God instructs Joshua to keep the law. Not to deviate to the right or left from it, but to meditate on it daily, to, uh, to read it, to have this be a part of his life, to learn from it so that his life may be prosperous. So, I'll ask another question, very participatory sermon today. What's one thing that you've learned from reading the Bible? What's that? The love of God. Yes, we learn about the love of God from reading the Bible. What else do you learn from reading the Bible? Who God is. Yeah, the personality of God. Absolutely. What kind of life you should Yes, what kind of life you should live. Certainly. What God expects from us. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can go on like this for ages. There's a lesson in every single line of the book, and we get through all, you know, multi-thousands of passages, and it'd be, you know, very late into next year. Um, but yes, this is, this is what we have before us, this book that informs us, that helps us to learn, and also to really get into our relationship with God. One of the things that with any relationship we have with another person that we do in order to sustain that relationship is we learn about that person and that person learns about us. We become familiar with each other or each other's likes and dislikes, the things that each other are interested in or, not, or try to avoid, uh, favorite color, you know, things like that, music preference. Uh, the Bible is a way for us to get to know God. God knows us intimately. Read Psalm 139. Uh, God has, knows us intimately from the moment that we are formed in the womb, God knows us, yet we distance ourselves from God. And so reading through scripture gives us the opportunity to learn about God, learn about uh, who God is, what makes God God, to experience the love of God. And so by reading God's word, we draw closer to God. We develop that relationship. We access that means of grace because it is God's grace, and we learn about God's grace through Scripture, and we encounter God's grace as we read and meditate and hear the Word of God. The second uh, thing that I want us to look at today is prayer. Prayer, this is, you know, this is like the epitome of the Christian life. We, this is, just comes up often. Anytime we start something in church, we pray. Anytime we finish something, we pray. Before a meal, we pray. Before bed, we pray. You know, what, what, however you incorporate prayer into your life, prayer is just a part of it. And this particular uh, prayer that we're considering today in Matthew 6 is one that we're very familiar with. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount at this point in Matthew chapter 6, and, and he says, Whenever you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who make a loud, boisterous noise so that everybody can see them pray. And also, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. What's the point of that? Rather, when you pray, 
pray like this, and we all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, we'll pray that you know, here in just a few minutes. Uh, this prayer that Jesus teaches to, uh, teaches to us, uh, I, I do often wonder, why is this the particular prayer that Jesus gives us? Any thoughts? Why does Jesus teach us to pray this way? Humility. Humility. Yeah, absolutely. There's only one point in here in this prayer that asks for something that we, uh, for us, and that's something that we need. Right? Not, not just our wants. Yeah. What else? Why, why this particular prayer? Forgiveness is huge. Forgiveness is huge in this prayer. And it's huge for our relationship. We mess up. I don't know if you know this, but that's just like a part of our nature. We mess up all the time. And we make mistakes and we hurt other people. And other people hurt us. And it's just an aspect of being in relationship together. And guess what? You have an option whenever that injury comes along. You can hold on to that and form a grudge and keep it till your dying breath and sever that relationship. Or there's forgiveness. The forgiveness that is offered freely to us from God, a forgiveness that, is, that should be an example unto us that we might also forgive others. Because guess what? We're human and we make mistakes. And yes, that doesn't excuse the mistakes, but we must consider is that relationship worth it? In this prayer, uh, Jesus instructs us to do a couple of things. First, to give glory to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Second, to ask that God's will be done, not ours. That's a key point. To ask that God's will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not mine, not uh, some other world leader. God, please, not the world leaders. Uh, but your will, right? To ask for our needs to be met. Give us this day our daily bread. We have needs. We have things that uh, we need to survive. We talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs two weeks ago. We have these needs, and this is asking for God to satisfy those, but not our wants, our needs. And then uh, to ask for, for our forgiveness and to encourage the forgiveness of others. Forgiveness is huge in relationships. And then we get to this point, do not let us see, uh, and this rendition says uh, that time of trial, uh, our, the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation. This is a reference to the day, what's called the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, a time of, of calamity, a time when everything is falling apart. This prayer asks us, please don't let us see that day when everything is falling apart. That sounds terrifying. And to keep us or to, be, to spare us from all evil, because that is a reality in our world, and we are called to live in the light, not in the darkness. So this prayer sets up a very specific pattern uh, for us to pray. Most specifically, a prayer that is not heaping up empty phrases, Jesus says. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because prayer is our conversation with God. 
Prayer is the way that we interact with God. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you know it's just one way and that person is the only one talking and you're just like, mm -hmm. cool, very good, awesome, excellent. It, it's not the most fun conversation. We do have those conversations and they're, they're not bad and sometimes they need to be had, but in a relationship it must be a two-way street. And so this kind of prayer orients or aligns our heart to God's own heart. And it's not filled with empty words because those don't lead to a healthy relationship. I don't know about you, but whenever you're hanging out with your best friends or your, your partner, whoever, you're hanging out with somebody who's special to you, you don't often talk about the weather. You might talk about the weather, but that's not going to be the only point of the conversation. Or it's not going to be, you know, talking about the, you know, the clouds in the sky or the, these, these uh, surface level conversations. God wants depth, wants meaningful conversations with us, and that's what this prayer is all about. And so, there's something that ties both of these things together, prayer and, and reading and hearing God's Word. Something that ties both of these things together, aside from them being individual acts of piety, and that is words. Words tie into prayer and words tie into uh, scripture. We, now we say that actions speak louder than words, and it's true, but words shape our world. Literally, in that God created by words, and also figuratively, in that the way that we speak to others molds our relationships. Words have power, they do. And uh, focusing on scripture and prayer as our individual works of piety we can see how important words are in our relationship with God. So, my challenge for each of us this week is to draw near to God in word. In scripture, in prayer, in our individual acts of piety, to draw near to God. And we know that our relationships are gifts, but we still must participate them, participate in them, and contribute to them. So, Let's do so in our words, because words make a difference. Through scripture, through prayer, let us draw nearer to God. This, that's what Lent is all about. It is a season of drawing nearer to God. And while this should be every day of our lives, frankly, uh, we use Lent as our reminder to make it a priority. So as we continue in the season of Lent, as we seek these means of grace, and we'll unpack this more on Wednesday, let us draw nearer to God through these means of grace, scripture, prayer, individual works of piety. And let us pray.